This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, friends, in the summer of 2013, I was licensed into ministry as a pastor in the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church. And when I was licensed into ministry, I was also appointed to serve a church in Swansboro, North Carolina, which is out on the coast. If you've ever driven to Emerald Isle or maybe even Moorhead City, chances are you have driven right past Swansboro, North Carolina. It's a beautiful area. And while Amy and I were really, really excited about this new opportunity in front of us, it was also a very bittersweet time because we had spent the previous two years living right here in Apex, building friendships with people around us in the community, especially the community at the Peak Church, which is where I served for two years. And so we knew that part of moving to Swansboro was going to be saying goodbye to this town that we had come to love, to these people that we had come to love and that had been family for us. Now, when I went to annual conference that year, and for those of you that don't know, annual conference is like ultra-Methodism, okay? (laughs) Yeah, it's like Everybody in the room, there's all these pastors and lay delegates, and then we just sit down and have a meeting for three days, okay? Which, if you're into, if you're into it, that's awesome. Um, and it's, it's, where, it's where the bishop officially appoints pastors to new churches. So oftentimes we will go to annual conference if we're moving. That is when the bishop will say officially, you are going to serve this specific church, And then the week or two after that is when all the pastors who are moving move, and then they start their new appointments at the end of June or the beginning of July. When I went, I had the opportunity to go and have lunch with some people who were already serving in the district I was going to. I was going to the Sound District. I had an opportunity to have lunch with other young clergy who were already serving in the Sound District. And what I loved about that lunch was that I found out that even though I felt like I was going to be very alone in this new place, um, I was going to have people around me who I would be able to talk to, to share um, happenings and ministry with and, and to pray with in regards to ministry. Now, we started a young clergy small group off of that lunch that met once a month. And little did I know that that small group that we started would become the start of a very beautiful family that would begin um, to build. I want to tell you about this family that has blossomed over the course of the last um, five years. I've got some pictures of us I want to show you. We've been with each other through a bunch, um, through licensing. Yeah, licensing, praise the Lord. I love that picture. Um, we grew in number, and we were there for each other during Christmases. Okay, so these are pastors and spouses who are trying to smile, right, um, in the midst of, of the Advent season. We've been there for one another at weddings. Weddings, as the numbers grew, you see some babies start to show up. Great, praise the Lord. Baptism, here are all the babies. Boom, right? There was one baby when we started. All right, now we've got like five in the group. It's excellent. And, and even ordination. Ordination. That's, that's the most, most recent um, picture I have of all of us. And so as we begin a conversation about how we develop 
friendships, about the power of friendship, about what it means to be friend. It is impossible for me to think about friendship without thinking about these people. Um, we even have a name for ourselves. It's kind of silly. It's funny. It's called, we're called the Little Band. Little Band because John Wesley um, would have these bands of people who would encourage each other in the faith. And, and this, is, this is a great picture of us that we have um, from one of my friend's weddings that I wanted to share with all of you. So we have been there for each other in many, many ways um, through all kinds of life. And at a time when Amy and I have moved um, four times in the first six years of our marriage, for some of you, you know what that's like, for others, maybe not, at a time when we've moved so much and the closest blood relative we have lives six hours away, this group of people has become our family. And, and I mean that in every which way. We have celebrated together. We have cried together. We have fought some wonderful fights <laughs> together. We have prayed together and we have worshipped together. So today, we begin this series called How to Be Friends, where we examine how Jesus used this power of friendship to turn strangers into friends, and then friends into this unstoppable, powerful movement called the kingdom of God. And so often in our culture today, it seems as though the narrative that the world is putting out there is that if you don't look alike, act alike, think alike, vote alike, whatever alike, then you can't be friends. And that is a profound lie. That is a profound lie. Some of my greatest friends in life are people with whom I am profoundly different. And we vehemently disagree on things. But by the grace of God and with the knowledge of what our foundation is, we have been able to build beautiful and strong bonds that have not only blessed us, but that's blessed our community. So, our scripture this morning ties beautifully into this concept of friendship. It comes from John's Gospel, chapter 15. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. That's where we're going to be this morning, John chapter 15, starting at verse 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, praise the Lord, we have pew Bibles there for you. If you have an app on your um, device, you're welcome to pull that out as well. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is part of Jesus' farewell discourse in John. It's the last time he's with his disciples before he's betrayed. And in the other Gospels, we see this portrayed as the Last Supper over maybe a couple of verses. In John's Gospel, this moment stretches out over four chapters of Scripture with so much rich teaching that Jesus is giving his disciples. And here in John chapter 15, starting at verse 12, Jesus gets at what the core of being a disciple is, what the core of being in relationship is, and it's a very beautiful and challenging teaching for us today. So I want to read this to you. I invite you to follow along. This is John chapter 12, starting at, John chapter 15, starting at verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have spoken your word to me. I pray now that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak it through me. And Lord, if necessary, speak in spite of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I say this passage is beautiful and challenging for a few reasons. So I want to I share those with you this morning. First is this. Jesus is giving us a commandment and not a suggestion. Jesus is giving us a commandment and not a suggestion. Language is important in Scripture. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And I wonder if we've ever taken time to pause and consider the depth of love that was required from Jesus to do what he did for us. Paul, the apostle, did take time to think about this. And as you walked into church today and received a scripture card, as you read your daily Bible readings this week, on Friday, you will come to Philippians chapter 2, which is a place where Paul discusses the depth of Christ's love for us. And so when Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, and we ask, well, what does that mean? Paul gives us a picture of what that means in Philippians chapter 2. And Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. So when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, he is saying, love one another with hearts that are capable of being humbled. Love one another in a way where you are capable of offering and sacrificing a piece of who you are and of yourself for the sake of the other. And that makes sense when you read with that lens into the context of what Jesus is saying here, because he says, this is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, love, true love has known nothing greater than this, for one to lay down one's life for one's friends. To use that sacrificial language is part of what it means to give up a piece of yourself for the sake of relationship and friendship with the other. We often romanticize that laying down one's life because 
literally Jesus died for us, and so there is that aspect of it, but we do not need to go all the way to this physical aspect of dying to get to a place where we can see how we embody a sacrificial nature of relational living. When we are willing to give up a piece of who we are so that we can be in honest relationship with the other, we take part in an aspect of laying down our life for another. It's a part of what that looks like. So Jesus says, this is my commandment. That's number one. Number two, and I'm going I'm to push a little bit with this one, okay? Um, number two, Jesus says, you are my friends, but the friendship Jesus offers us is conditional. That's a dangerous word to say, and I know we don't like to talk about that a lot in church, but don't miss this. Jesus says, you are my friends if. You are my friends if. If. Hard stop for a second. That's a big if. Because when you think about this model for love that Jesus has given us, humbling oneself, considering others, above yourself, being willing to sacrifice a part of who you are, or maybe even all of who you are for the sake of another. And then he says, if you do that, then I will call you my friends. That if means that loving each other and developing these holy friendships is not just something we do because it feels good, but it's an act of discipleship. It is an act of discipleship. And not something that we should only do when we feel like it, but something that we should do even when it stretches us, even when it's difficult. Jesus says, if we love one another, then we are his friend. So a key word is if. Another key word is love. We have become so desensitized to that word in our culture, love. I can tell you right now that I love my wife. And in the same sentence, I can tell you that I love the weekly breakfast special at IHOP, (laughs) which is a two by two by two with hash browns for under $6. It's excellent. But I've used the same word to describe two incredibly different things. And so in both instances, I've used the same word, but there's much different meaning. So we struggle with how we define it. We also struggle with it because we often define it as a feeling, warm fuzzies. Warm fuzzies is what love is. But what I have come to realize in friendship, in marriage, and in fatherhood is that love isn't always warm and fuzzy. Love isn't always warm and fuzzy. It's not just something you feel, it's something you do. Your capacity to love has to go beyond your ability to like someone. I have to love my daughter even when it's hard to like her sometimes. We're going to get a little honest here today. I hope you're honest with me. I have to love my wife even when it's hard to like her sometimes. She has to do the same for me. That's part of that sacrificial nature of the relationship. So love is not something that we 
feel, it's something that we actively choose to do, to love beyond our happiness, to love beyond our celebrations, to love beyond our milestones, but to love even in the midst of the valleys, even in the midst of the hurt, even in the midst of the confusion and the sorrow, that we would choose to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And that's the good news. And here's where the passage turns beautiful, and I want to share this with you as we come to a close today. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. There's challenge in the if. You are my friends if. There's grace in this moment. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And not only did Jesus choose us, but he appointed us to a specific task, to go and to bear fruit and to be involved in this continual disciple-making which Jesus has equated as friendship which Jesus has equated as friendship. So Jesus, knowing our shortcomings, our inability to be perfect, chose to be in relationship with us, chose to be in relationship with you, with you of all people, praise the Lord, and still chooses to do so today. And he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and when we come to this table in communion, we are reminded that Jesus not only chose to be with us, but he chose to dwell with us and within us with us and within us, now and forever. So if Jesus chose you, what might it look like for you to choose others? If Jesus chose you, what might it look like for you to choose others? To think beyond what you consider your ability to make friends and whatever barriers the world tells you should be there? And to live into this reality where we leave room for the power of God to work within us and to draw us close to one another. Part of what we believe is that friendship has power. The power of God working through relationships to transform us from the inside out. And you know, it's interesting because when I consider the, the climate of our world today and how hard it seems to be friends with one another, I often hear people saying, you know, well, God, God's going to take care of it. Just have faith. God's going to fix it. God's going to fix the situation. God's going to fix this. It's, it's, God's going to take care of it. And one thing that has always sat with me that I heard from a spiritual mentor of mine is that faith doesn't always mean that God is going to fix the situation or change the situation. Sometimes faith means that God's going to change you. Sometimes faith means that God is going to change you. It's not always about the situation. Sometimes it's about you. Now, Jesus said, I chose you. Not, I chose the world. I mean, when Jesus rose from the dead, Rome was still in charge. Rome was still in power. It was the people that he chose that became the catalyst for building and developing the kingdom of God. And so maybe that's the kind of faith we need right now. Faith that leaves us open to the possibility that God would work within us through these holy friendships and holy relationships to transform us, to show us that it is possible to be in relationship with each other even when it's hard, even when it's hard. 
That we would believe that the power of God is greater than the power of this world to tell us that we can't exist with one another. So I invite you to take this coming season to have that kind of faith, to consider how God is calling you in to friendship. Maybe God is calling you to deepen a friendship with someone you're already friends with. Maybe God is calling you to reach out to someone new, someone that's been on your heart for a while. Maybe God is calling you to extend a hand of forgiveness and mercy and grace to someone that you've wronged or that has wronged you that no one else in this world expects you to do, but you know that the power of God working through you can make anything possible. How is God calling you to be a friend today? Gary Thomas, um, great author, wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. And his whole premise was, um, what if marriage wasn't designed to make us happy, but to make us holy? What if marriage wasn't designed to make us happy, but to make us holy? And I think that premise works well with friendship, too. With what it means to be holy friends with one another. That we believe that this act of befriending each other would actually make us a clearer reflection of Jesus Christ. This act of friending, being friend, can change us, it can transform us, and it can change and transform our world. So where are you finding friendship? The image we've chosen for this series is, a, is an empty bench. That's opportunity and it's invitation. It's opportunity, it's invitation. God's calling, are you listening? Be a friend this season. Amen? Amen. Amen. And thanks be to God.